to another episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me as always is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? I am spectacular, Jody. How are you? Spectacular. Yeah, maybe that's overstating it a little bit, but I'm good. <laughs> that reminds me of the movie Larry Crown for some reason. Yeah? Yeah, he says that word a lot apparently in that movie. Does he? I have to plead complete ignorance about that movie. So good for you. I'll just continue with a podcast. Yes, let's do that. What are <laughs> we talking about? Off the rails today? already. <laughs> We're going to dip our toes into the wonderful world and mysterious world of mid side processing, primarily EQ today. Yes. Yes, we are. There will be some deep, sort of technical stuff, I think, that we will cover. More importantly, perhaps, how we might go about using it. Should we use it? Is it something that we have to use? And hopefully we'll answer at least a couple of those questions mm-hmm. by the end of this. Tell us a little bit about mid-side processing and where that comes from, Jody. It derives from a miking technique that was developed by Alan Bloomlein. What it is, is he would take a cardioid mic and he would point it at the source. And then he would take a second mic with a figure eight pattern and point that at a 90 degree angle away from the source that would capture the sides of everything happening around the source, so to speak. So the mid mic was the cardioid mic that captured everything. And the side mic, which was at 90 degrees in a figure eight pattern, captured all the directionality of the sound. That's where it stems from. Yeah. So the cardioid, obviously really directional toward the sound that that he was miking. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Why would we want to do this? Do the miking technique or EQing mid and side? (laughs) That's two different, very different things. The idea there is that with miking like that, it gets you a very stereoopic idea of where your sound source is coming from. Because you get the sound source and you hear it very clearly in the, in the main mid of channel. And then your sides are determining where it's located in your room, essentially. Right. So you get a very focused sound while still capturing some of the space and still getting the clarity. And that's presumably why Mr. Bloomline would do this back in, what was it, like 30s, I think, right? Yeah, EMI, something like that. Yeah. What that does is obviously it gives us a little bit more control over our track. And we should point out probably early in this that we're dealing with stereo tracks. This is not an issue, obviously, for for a mono track. Or for something that was recorded using the two mic technique from Alan in that you have two separate tracks to deal with when you're miking that way. Yeah, so you obviously have a lot more control over the source that you're capturing at that point. But now when we're dealing with all the wonderful tools that we have today and we're doing recordings in our DAW and stuff. Do you ever mic in this way or do you just do that? Should you need it in the box? Because I haven't. I've never mic'd anything like that because I've never had the need to essentially. I can't confess to saying that I would ever think about miking in this format. It's not a miking thing to me. For me, it's a processing thing. And that's right. probably how it is for a whole lot of people out there at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. I don't do a whole lot of mid-side. I know the benefit of it. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't come across it a lot. It's something that I predominantly think of when it comes to mastering. I don't do a whole lot of mastering. So it's not something that I, that I experience 
a lot. We will go into it a little bit more how we might go ahead and use it in our project. Explain a little bit what happens there because now we're obviously, we don't have two mics that are capturing this. So we're in our DAW and we have a stereo track. So, right. so for, most people, what, for most mix yeah. engineers and most mastering engineers, but we're going to concentrate mostly on mixing at this point because we'll leave mastering to the pros like Ruben Cohen. Exactly. Most mixing engineers are going to be dealing with things on a stereo field. But mm -hmm. most stereo files that they're either giving to somebody else or getting from somebody else for mixing are not going to be mid-side files. They're right. usually just a left and right file. In order to use this in a plug-in situation in a DAW, we're very fortunate in this day and age that handy-dandy plug-in manufacturers take care of the concept of converting left and right stereo files into something that can be dealt with in a mid-side generation that we might want to tackle it with. The right. simple nature of this, with the plug-in doing the conversion for us, mid is equal to the sum of both left and right. It's not like it has divided the stereo left and right file into three sections where there's a left section for one third, a mid section in the middle third, and a right section on the last third. <laughs> that's, that's not how it works. <laughs> mid is actually the sum of both the left and the right channels. And then it determines the sides by taking the left and subtracting the right is essentially how it's done in, in a layman's terms for a plug-in. And what left becomes is mid plus side and right becomes mid minus side. Then the processing happens with the plug-in and then it converts it back from the mid side that it's doing back into left and right. And it's kind of a complicated process. And that's the most simple way I can discuss it. <laughs> well, luckily for us, if we just kind of break it down to what's actually happening on, even if we don't really worry about what is happening of the math behind and in the plug-in. Mm -hmm. is that we now have a little bit more control over what's happening in the sites as well as what's going on in our track right up the center. The process there is obviously a lot more convoluted than what I'm making it sound like, but that's sort of the benefit of what we get. Mm -hmm. Hence the name, mid and side. But there's a lot more going on. It's not like you said, it just divides it up. Oh, this stuff is in the left and this is in the right and that type of thing. What we get for example, if we have a, a track, a stereo track, where presumably bass, kick, snare, lead vocal would generally be centered right up the middle. Mm -hmm. And if they're bone dry, sort of like no reverbs or anything, they're going to be focused there. So we can process those to the degree that we find useful. And the same thing with the sides. What are some of the things that we should keep in mind though when we are doing this process? Because I know if we just start willy-nilly experimenting with this and going kind of crazy, we can very quickly get into some issues, can we not? Oh, yes. And the first big thing to keep in mind when using these types of plugins is phasing. There's a whole lot of problems when it comes to phasing, especially if it's a plugin that is not specifically a linear phase EQ. It can so maybe, introduce... maybe expand a little bit on that. What's the difference between linear phase and just a standard EQ? Well, linear phase EQ does a whole lot of complicated math to make sure that anything you do from one side to the other does not get bizarrely out of whack or out of time. 
with whatever it is that you're adding or subtracting to in the EQ field and causing phasing issues. Whereas other plugins that aren't explicitly linear phase type of plugins, and you mentioned a few just before we started recording that there are some where you can do certain things with hardware types, EQ emulations that kind of do this stuff, you can start introducing phase. And if you do something drastic in your EQing and it's not a linear phase EQ, you are probably causing phasing problems. When it collapses down to mono, you might hear some real problems <laughs> once you've done yeah. this. And this is right. one of the other things to keep in mind. You need to check your mix in mono when you start messing around with your mid sides. Yeah, and then you start measuring like with the benefits that you might get from the mid-side processing. Is that worth what you might be losing in phase correlation perhaps on a mono system, right? Because right. we are messing with phase under the best of circumstances. Again, is the, is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak? Right? It's something to be aware of because, again, I said we started here that it can feel really exciting. It's like, ooh, look how wide I can get the symbols where I <laughs> right. can make all this stuff, right? And the end result might be not as pleasing as we might think it is at the time of, of we're sitting there tweaking. Especially if so. you collapse it down to mono and suddenly you're listening on, say, a HomePod Mini or something or an Amazon speaker or a Google speaker. Suddenly there's no symbols as you were giving as an example. It's like, where did my symbols go? <laughs> yeah, we, we did record overheads for this, right? Yeah. <laughs> they were there. They're now gone yeah, so because of phasing. Another thing to keep in mind that is the third portion to this of keeping things in mind when you're messing around with this type of EQ is your monitoring situation. If your monitors are not set up really well, you will likely miss all the little details that mid-side EQing can bring up in your processing. Yeah, and never mind all the issues that you might have regardless of mid-side, right? So we want to think about that setup of our speakers and our monitoring system as best as we can wherever we are, right? right. The idea not, there is that you can't fix what you're not able to hear. And if you're exactly. fucking around with shit and you can't hear it, you're yeah, creating problems right. that it, shouldn't be there anyway. Right. And you might not have even have had the problems to begin with. So... There is always that. Now that we've covered those three things, we're going to take a word from our sponsors. And we're back. What's up next, Chris? Well, uses, I think. Mm. Right? We, we talked about the potential pitfalls of doing this kind of processing and that we want to have our monitoring accurately tell us what we're actually doing to the tracks. But what are some of the cases where you might use mid-side because like I said I don't use it a whole lot I have used it some but this is not something I use in every mix for example I don't use it technically in every mix but I use it in a lot of mixes and it has a lot to do with my mix template and the way I've set it up it makes it easier for for me to deal with things in certain regards and the first thing that I would like to impress upon people is that this is more of a stereo concept. It's not something you bring to the table with an individual instrument in my mind. I rarely, if ever, maybe one, not even one, let's go like 0.005% of the time, I might use this on an individual stereo instrument. 
generally speaking, this is on some sort of master bus. And most often, I'm using this on the master music bus, not the vocal bus, but the music bus. That's what I was going to ask you. Would you use this on like your music bus or yes. to, to kind of make room for vocals, that type of thing? Or? That is my general use for it. Now, that's not everybody's general use, but it is my general use. And one of the first things that I have to think about when I'm doing this is that I don't think about this type of EQing as something that's only affecting the mid when I'm doing the mids and only affecting the sides when I'm doing the sides. And we had a little bit of a discussion about how we each think of this as it's going on. With the mid processing of my musical bus, and if there's a little issue going on between the balance of the vocal and maybe it's getting stepped on, and usually my vocal is, especially the lead, is setting up center, the music bus can sometimes get a little busy in a few spots. I will use mid-side processing on the music bus, and I will scoop out in the mid area of about 2, 2.1K, depending on the vocal, whether it's a male or female vocal. The female vocal might be a little higher, male vocal might go a little lower. And I might pull out one to maybe one and a half, maximum two dB on the mid. It's not a lot, but overall, when I do that, that's affecting everything across the board regardless. And to compensate for that a little bit, I will actually boost the sides a half dB in the same area. So that the sides come up a little bit as the mid goes down. That creates a little yeah. bit of a pocket for that vocal to sit in. Okay, so you're saying now, just to throw out some values here, right? You're on your music bus, mm -hmm. and now it's definitely for you an issue with how dense the mix is. This is not one of those things where you just want to ride the vocal up a little bit. It's fighting against and it's masking. So, or the the instrument is masking the vocal. It can. So yes. you're, yeah. So you're pulling out one or two dB. You said mm -hmm. in the mid, and then correspondingly raising the sides on the music buzz in the same frequency for probably about the same value. No, actually, I usually do a little less. Okay. I usually do a little less just to kind of compensate, but not to. When you start cutting the mid, you're widening the frequency area. And I don't mean mid EQ. Like, <laughs> that's, that's a weird thing about saying mid side because it almost yeah. seems like I'm cutting the mids. I'm not cutting the mids. I'm cutting the mid section on the EQ of whatever it is that I'm using to do this. And yeah, then I'm not boosting the mid the frequency. Side. Not the, mid yeah. frequency, but the mid right. of the value of everything. That's where some people get a little bit wishy-washy maybe in their formulation of what's going on is that they think if I just cut the mids, well, that's going to do only the mids. And the reality is, and it's like that image that I showed you of what's happening. There is a concentration on the mid, but it affects everything overall. Whereas the left, right affects the sides, but not so much the center. It's a delicate balance is what I would call it. <laughs> yeah. I would say just as a caution, I mean, we have to know, what it is that we're trying to do first, mm -hmm. right? When we're using this type of processing. And definitely smaller changes here. I would say generally overall, it's not like you're gonna be super handed here unless you're going crazy soundscape-y sound design type of stuff, right? Sure. And that's because why I'm saying it's it can be anywhere from like maybe a dB to somewhere to almost two dB. It doesn't take a lot to create that pocket for the vocal. 
And that's generally my use of it is how I'm using the mid-side when it's needed. One other way to kind of think about this is I want to make this very clear to the listeners is that adjustments to the mid-channel, as I mentioned, affect everything, including anything that's hard panned left, right. But adjustments to the side channels affect everything except for elements that are literally dead center, Hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think it's one of those things you kind of have to hear it and mess around with some as well. You do, but I just want to be clear that it's like the mid-channel of this affects everything. It's not like it just affects – it's like I was saying up top. It's not like there's a left third, middle third, right third, and it only affects the third in the middle. It affects the middle of your mix a little bit more, but it affects everything overall, including hard left and hard right elements. Whereas when you affect just side channels, side channels affect everything that aren't dead center in the exact opposite fashion. Right. Perhaps a good way of thinking about this, just to be careful with the processing that we're doing, should it be possible, is that perhaps if you're having to do this to treat the sides first for whatever adjustments you might have. Well, it depends on what you're treating for, right? Right, right, of course. But let's say, as an example, now I'm thinking, and I, I could be completely wrong, and if I'm wrong, people... Tell me that Slap I'm him full across of it. The forehead. <laughs> Absolutely, because I want to learn as well, right? Let's say that you find that the mid is not present enough, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to perhaps boosting some in the mid, perhaps lowering the sides would make more sense. It could. Either way of doing that, it's going to cause that frequency area that you're affecting to uh-huh. feel. A little more narrow. narrower. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that that a lot of times is one of the things that we're trying to make it wider, right? Especially sure. if you're using it on on a master bus, right? Because it can have that where you can boost a little bit of in the sides of a high frequency and to make a little bit more excitement in there, perhaps even roll off some of the lows if you can, mm-hmm. right? To make that feel a little bit wider. And still have that punch, obviously, uh, of the middle, of the kick, and the snare, and vocals, and bass, and all those kind of things that just live right down the middle. Right. The thing to remember on all of that that we were just talking about when it comes to these uses of, of thinking of the mid-side is that it's never just as simple as the center and the sides. There's always some trade-off that's happening in between everything that's going on when you process the mid-side concept. So it's, so it's you, not just use actually, your ear kind of thing. Exactly. It's very much a use your ear thing. And obviously with the three things to keep in mind with the phasing, the being able to monitor appropriately and checking things in mono so that when they collapse down to the modern listening element of single speaker sources, <laughs> so strange yeah. that in modern technology, we're going back to mono. Full circle. (laughs) Full circle. It's kind of crazy. Anyway, moving on from the concept of how we put this to use. And as I said, the idea that I generally use it for is on the music bus in a two-bus system that goes to a master stereo bus or my ultra-complicated mix template of multiple exports going down. I have two main sources, my music bus and my vocal bus. And the vocal bus, I can't even imagine. don't even remember ever using mid-side on the vocal bus, ever. 
And that just has to do with things getting overly dense. And suddenly there's a point where a vocal is not coming out as clear and writing it is starting to create a problem with a volume level that seems to get a little out of whack for the mix. So instead of doing the volume ride, then it becomes an issue of doing a little bit of a mid-side effect and cutting it out, scooping it, making the vocals sit in there a little better and making that really fit like a glove. Yeah. When you're thinking of your music bus as well, Mm -hmm. I think it's fair to say that you're dealing with a broader frequency spectrum of what's going on there as well, right? Where If it's your vocal bus, right, you're not going to have any 80 hertz down there. Because I've heard you sing, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of 80 hertz, you know. But no. so you, you're dealing with a limited spectrum, so it's less use for that. I mean, I could see possibly if you're trying to add some extra width to, like some massive kind of like backing vocal kind of thing. Yeah, if I was doing effect. a clean thing, I might think about it. But then that comes more from just the panning effect and EQing the vocal for the backgrounds or maybe or whatever. Right. It is. Just want to say that that's primarily the reason why you're doing this on your music buzz and not on. Uh, the vocal bus. Then again, it's like what Ruben mentioned, if somebody's now tempted to throw this on their two bus, right, on their master bus to start doing this once they're they're done mixing, right? Mm-hmm. Perhaps leave that to the professionals, right? But that, <laughs> yes, that's what I would think. Yeah. Again, it's a dangerous tool, right? Now you're sending that off to mastering and they go, what, what are we going to do with this? What What's going on here? You have all these facing issues and things. Yeah. So. It is a really, really interesting tool, I think. Well, and it's uh, become a lot more prevalent now with our digital workstations. DOS, sure. Because there's a lot of plug-in manufacturers now that allow you to do this. And yeah. one of our favorites, at least for prior to going to Luna for mixing for me, was using the Logic <laughs> EQ. Because the yeah. Logic EQ had that built right in. I don't remember what version of Logic they added mid-side processing in, but it's been there for quite a while at this point. Yeah, it was some 10 point something. Oh, it was before that. that. They, Pretty sure? sure. Because they've had linear phase EQ for a long time. Yeah, oh, the linear phase, yeah, but I don't think it was mid-side. Yeah. I, I think that was an advent with 10. But anyway, we're, we're dating ourselves now. We're going back a while anyway. <laughs> One thing to keep in mind, that if any listener is a Logic user, and I suspect there are a few of you, the Logic EQ, you can definitely do it in there, but it would be either or. So you'd have to instantiate two Logic EQs on the track to have one is going to deal with the mids and one is going to deal with the sides. It's something to keep in mind, but there are some cool things that come from that because if you have that, you could actually have a volume ride of just the the mids and the sides, respectively, on the same channel. So that, that's actually kind of a cool thing. Sure. A little bit of a workaround that ends up being a feature, I guess, <laughs> of sorts. I don't know if i call it a feature, but it's certainly a workaround. Right. I mean, there are others as well. I mean, I'm a Slate user. The Infinity EQ mm-hmm. does it. Fab Filter, Pro-Q does it. EOSIS Air does it, the, the full version. So that's a couple that I have that I own, but... Again, I don't use it all the time. So, <laughs> Well, the one that I use or tend to use a whole lot, especially because of having moved to Luna for mixing, is Ozone. Yeah. And the Ozone EQ, which is very, very surgical <laughs> in how it can work <laughs> because it can process mid and side at the same time, just a matter of flipping the button to know what you're looking at at any given moment. Right. And it 
can do some pretty amazing stuff. Now, to get really, really esoteric with that, and when I mentioned dealing with music bus items when it's just moments where it's going to cause issues, there's another EQ called the dynamic EQ in ozone. Also in ozone. Also yeah. in ozone. And yeah. you can use the dynamic EQ in mid-side capability so that it can attack just when it's too much in a specific point in time, which is even cooler if you need that. Now, if you want to get really, really esoteric, you just turned me on to the fact that the split EQ from Eventide can yeah. also process in mid-side widths, whether it's the transient or the tonal portion. And that just made my mind melt. <laughs> yeah. Per band <laughs> it's also. It's ridiculous. Right? So, yes. Yeah. Per band. So, yeah. So, as, as we joked, of course, you want to have like a mid-side on your 800 hertz, but you <laughs> right. want the tonal qualities to be panned wide. And yeah, it, it's nutty what that thing can do. And, and I would say, at least my use of it, I'm probably very unlikely at this point to need that kind of depth, but it is there. And it, it's kind of crazy what, what you can end up with. And as I like to say, it, sometimes it's more of a weapon than a tool. You know? In that case, it almost feels like it's weaponizing something that shouldn't be weaponized. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. All right. And with that, we're going to move on to our Friday finds. Chris, what have you got for us this week? Well, if you're a listener, and I knew you are because you have to talk or listen to me talk here every <laughs> Friday, but last week I said I had two, mm. and I ended up going with one of the two. So this week I'm going to go for the other one, and that is a new guitar stomp box from Boss. Mm. Now, every guitar player knows that Boss stomp boxes, and I think that's at least – Let's say kids from the 80s, there was nobody playing guitar that didn't have a Boss pedal, right? But they have now come out with a pedal for the uh, Space Echo, mm. the Roland Space Echo, called the RE2. Sweet. So if you're into a little bit more of experimental use, perhaps, and you want to go a big throwback to Pink Floydian soundscapes of guitars and stuff, that might be a pedal for you. So I thought that was pretty cool. So that is my Friday find for uh, this week. What about you? What do you got? Well, I'm sticking with your guitar pedal concept here. Is I that have, the first time we've done that? I, I know, think it I might be. I don't know. Really? Maybe. It doesn't matter. It's but I thought 125 episodes it. in and that we've done something that isn't on the same wavelength? I don't know. The idea here that I'm going with is Wampler. Brian Wampler has now created another clone and it's not a Klon clone like his Tumnus. This is a clone of the Tube Screamer, the TS-10. Cool. Which means that this little pedal, and it's one of his micro-type pedals, you know, that's like half size or something like that. Nice. Comes with your standard Tube Screamer type stuff where it's got the volume, it's got the gain, and it's got the tone knob. But it's got two extra little switches on it. One is a voice and one is fat. So you can further dial in the type of tonality and EQ and transparency that you could possibly want out of this pedal and a TS-10. It's the upgrade to the TS-10. That's what I would call it. My choice this week is the Wampler. Moxie is the name of it. Ooh, perfect name for it. Right? Excellent. Right? Yeah, yeah. 
While we've got your attention, we ask that you go to InsideTheRecordingStudio.com and sign up for our mailing list. Doing so will get you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure you don't miss any future episodes of this lovely podcast. Send us an email at goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R, at InsideTheRecordingStudio.com with the phrase, Midside and you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic or suggestion for Chris and I to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. With that, I'll say see you next week. Have a good one, Jody. Thanks for listening, everybody. 